Chapter Five of Pushing to the Front by Horizon Sweat Marden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Luke Sartor. Chapter Five Opportunities Where You Are. To each man's life there comes a time supreme. One day, one night, one morning, or one noon. One freighted hour, one moment opportune. One rift through which sublime fulfillments gleam. One space when fate goes tiding with the stream. And once in balance twixt too late, too soon, And ready for the passing instant's boon, To tip in favour the uncertain beam. Ah, happy he who, knowing how to wait, Knows also how to watch and work and stand, On life's broad deck alert, and at the prow, to seize the passing moment, big with fate, from opportunity's extended hand, when the great clock of destiny strikes now. Mary A. Townsend What is opportunity to a man who can't use it? An unfecundated egg, which the waves of time wash away into non-entity. George Eliot the secret of success in life is for a man to be ready for his opportunity when it comes. Disraeli There are no longer any good chances for young men, complained a youthful law student to Daniel Webster. There is always room at the top, replied the great statesman and jurist. No chance, no opportunities, in a land where thousands of poor boys become rich men, where new boys go to Congress, and where those born in the lowest stations attain the highest positions. The world is all gates, all opportunities, to him who will use them. But, like Bunyan's pilgrim, in the dungeon of giant despair's castle, who had the key of deliverance all the time with him, but had forgotten it? We fail to rely wholly upon the ability to advance all that is good for us, which had been given to the weakest as well as the strongest. We depend too much upon outside assistance. We look too high for things close by. A Baltimore lady lost a valuable diamond bracelet at a ball and suppose that it was stolen from the pocket of her cloak. Years afterward, she washed the steps of the Peabody Institute, pondering how to get money to buy food. She cut up an old, worn-out, ragged cloak to make a hood, when, lo, in the lining of the cloak, she discovered the diamond bracelet. During all her poverty, she was worth $3,500, but did not know it. Many of us who think we are poor are rich in opportunities, if we could only see them, in possibilities all about us, in faculties worth more than diamond bracelets. In our large eastern cities, it has been found that at least 94 out of every 100 found their first fortune at home, or near at hand, and in meeting common everyday wants. It is a sorry day for a young man who cannot see any opportunities where he is, but thinks 
he can do better somewhere else. Some Brazilian shepherds organized a party to go to California to dig gold, and took along a handful of translucent pebbles to play checkers with on the voyage. After arriving in San Francisco, and after they had thrown most of the pebbles away, they discovered that they were diamonds. They hastened back to Brazil, only to find that the mines from which the pebbles had been gathered had been taken up by other prospectors and sold to the government. The richest gold and silver mine in Nevada was sold by the owner for $42 to get money to pay his passage to other mines, where he thought he could get rich. Professor Agassiz once told the Harvard students of a farmer who owned a farm of hundreds of acres of unprofitable woods and rocks and concluded to sell out and get into a more profitable business. He decided to go into the coal oil business. He studied coal measures and coal oil deposits and experimented for a long time. He sold his farm for $200 and engaged in his new business 200 miles away. Only a short time after, the man who bought his farm discovered upon it a great flood of coal oil, which the farmer had previously ignorantly tried to drain off. Hundreds of years ago there lived near the shore of the river Indus, a Persian by the name of Ali Hafed. He lived in a cottage on the river bank, from which he could get a grand view of the beautiful country stretching away to the sea. He had a wife and children, an extensive farm, fields of grain, gardens of flowers, orchards of fruit, and miles of forest. He had plenty of money and everything that heart could wish. He was contented and happy. One evening a priest of Buddha visited him, and, sitting before the fire, explained to him how the world was made, and how the first beams of sunlight condensed on the earth's surface into diamonds. The old priest told that a drop of sunlight the size of his thumb was worth more than large mines of copper, silver, or gold, that with one of them he could buy many farms like his, that with a handful he could buy a province, and with a mine of diamonds he could purchase a kingdom. Ali Hafed listened and was no longer a rich man. He had been touched with discontent, and with that all wealth vanishes. Early the next morning he woke the priest, who had been the cause of his unhappiness, and anxiously asked him where he could find a mine of diamonds. "'What do you want of diamonds?' asked the astonished priest. "'I want to be rich and place my children on thrones.' All you have to do is to go and search until you find them, said the priest. But where shall I go? asked the poor farmer. Go anywhere, north, south, east, or west. How shall I know when I have found the place? When you find a river running over white sands between high mountain ranges, in those white sands you will find diamonds, answered the priest. The discontented man sold the farm for what he could get, left his family with a neighbor, took the money he had at interest, and went to search for the coveted treasure. Over the mountains of Arabia, 
through Palestine and Egypt. He wandered for years, but found no diamonds. When his money was all gone and starvation stared him in the face, ashamed of his folly and of his rags, poor Ali Hafed threw himself into the tide and was drowned. The man who bought his farm was a contented man, who made the most of his surroundings, and did not believe in going away from home to hunt for diamonds or success. While his camel was drinking in the garden one day, he noticed a flash of light from the white sands of the brook. He picked up a pebble, and pleased with its brilliant hues, took it into the house, put it on the shelf near the fireplace, and forgot all about it. The old priest of Buddha, who had filled Ali Hafed with the fatal discontent, called one day upon the new owner of the farm. He had no sooner entered the room than his eye caught that flash of light from the stone. "'Here's a diamond! Here's a diamond!' he shouted in great excitement. "'Has Ali Hafed returned?' "'No,' said the farmer. "'Nor is that a diamond. That is but a stone.' They went into the garden and stirred up the white sand with their fingers, and behold, other diamonds, more beautiful than the first, gleamed out of it. So the famous diamond beds of Golconda were discovered. Had Ali Hafed been content to remain at home, and dug in his own garden, instead of going abroad in search for wealth, he would have been one of the richest men in the world, for the entire farm abounded in the richest of gems. You have your own special place and work. Find it. Fill it. Scarcely a boy or girl will read these lines, but has much better opportunity to win success than Garfield, Wilson, Franklin, Lincoln, Harriet Beecher Stowe, Francis Willard, and thousands of others had. But to succeed, you must be prepared to seize and improve the opportunity when it comes. Remember that four things come not back. The spoken word, the sped arrow, the past life, and the neglected opportunity. It is one of the paradoxes of civilization that the more opportunities are utilized, the more new ones are thereby created. New openings are as easy to find as ever to those who do their best, although it is not so easy as formerly to obtain great distinction in the old lines, because the standard has advanced so much, and competition has so greatly increased. The world is no longer clay, said Emerson, but rather iron in the hands of its workers, and men have got to hammer out a place for themselves by steady and rugged blows. Thousands of men have made fortunes out of trifles, which others pass by. As the bee gets honey from the same flower, from which the spider gets poison, so some men will get a fortune out of the commonest and meanest things, as scraps of leather, cotton, waste, slag, iron fillings, from which others get only poverty and failure, there is scarcely a thing which contributes to the welfare and comfort of humanity, scarcely an article of household furniture, a kitchen utensil, an article of clothing or of food, 
that is not capable of an improvement in which there may be a fortune. Opportunities, they are all around us. Forces of nature plead to be used in the service of man, as lightning for ages tried to attract his attention to the great force of electricity, which would do his drudgery and leave him to develop the God-given powers within him. There is power lying latent everywhere, waiting for the observant eye to discover it. First find out what the world needs, and then supply the want. An invention to make smoke go the wrong way in a chimney might be a very ingenious thing, but it would be of no use to humanity. The patent office at Washington is full of wonderful devices of ingenious mechanism, but not one in hundreds is of use to the inventor or to the world. And yet how many families have been impoverished and have struggled for years amid want and woe, while the father has been working on useless inventions. A. T. Stewart, as a boy, lost 87 cents when his capital was one dollar and a half, in buying buttons and thread, which shoppers did not call for. After that, he made it a rule never to buy anything which the public did not want, and so prospered. An observing man, the eyelets of whose shoes pulled out, but who could not afford to get another pair, said to himself, I will make a metallic lacing hook, which can be riveted into the leather. He was then so poor that he had to borrow a sickle to cut grass in front of his hired tenement. He became a very rich man. An observing barber in Newark, New Jersey, thought he could make an improvement on shears for cutting hair, invented clippers, and became rich. A Maine man was called in from the hayfield to wash clothes for his invalid wife. He had never realized what it was to wash before. Finding the method slow and laborious, he invented the washing machine and made a fortune. A man who was suffering terribly with toothache felt sure there must be some way of filling teeth which would prevent their aching, and he invented the method of gold filling for teeth. The great things of the world have not been done by men of large means. Ericsson began the construction of the screw propellers in a bathroom. The cotton gin was first manufactured in a log cabin. John Harrison, the great inventor of the marine chronometer, began his career in the loft of an old barn. Parts of the first steamboat ever run in America, was set up in the vestry of a church in Philadelphia by Fitch. McCormick began to make his famous reaper in a grist mill. The first model dry dock was made in an attic. Clark, the founder of Clark University of Worcester, Massachusetts, began his great fortune by making toy wagons in a horse shed. Farquhar made umbrellas in his sitting-room, with his daughter's help, until he sold enough to hire a loft. Edison began his experiments in a baggage car on the Grand Trunk Railroad when a newsboy. Michelangelo found a piece of discarded 
Carrara marble among waste rubbish beside a street in Florence, which some unskilled workmen had cut, hacked, spoiled, and thrown away. No doubt many artists had noticed the fine quality of the marble, and regretted that it should have been spoiled. But Michelangelo still saw an angel in the ruin, and with his chisel and mallet he called out from it one of the finest pieces of statuary in Italy, the young David. Patrick Henry was called a lazy boy, a good-for-nothing farmer, and he failed as a merchant. He was always dreaming of some far-off greatness, and never thought he could be a hero among the corn and tobacco and saddle-bags of Virginia. He studied law for six weeks, when he put out his shingle. People thought he would fail, but in his first case he showed that he had a wonderful power of oratory. It then first dawned upon him that he could be a hero in Virginia. From the time the Stamp Act was passed, and Henry was elected to the Virginia House of Burgesses, and he had introduced his famous resolution against the unjust taxation of the American colonies, he rose steadily until he became one of the brilliant orators of America. In one of his first speeches upon this resolution, he uttered these words, which were prophetic of his power and courage. Caesar had his Brutus, Charles I his Cromwell, and George III may profit by their example. If this be treason, make the most of it. The great natural philosopher Faraday, who was the son of a blacksmith, wrote, when a young man, to Humphrey Davy, asking for employment at the Royal Institution. Davy consulted a friend on the matter. Here is a letter from a young man named Faraday. He has been attending my lectures, and wants me to give him employment at the Royal Institution. What can I do? Do? Put him to washing bottles. If he is good for anything, he will do it directly. If he refuses, he is good for nothing. But the boy who could experiment in the attic of an apothecary shop with an old pan and glass vials during every moment he could snatch from his work saw an opportunity in washing bottles, which led to a professorship at the Royal Academy at Woolwich. Tyndall said of this boy with no chance, He is the greatest experimental philosopher the world has ever seen. He became the wonder of his age in science. There is a legend of an artist who long sought for a piece of sandalwood, out of which to carve a Madonna. He was about to give up in despair, leaving the vision of his life unrealized, when, in a dream, he was bidden to carve his Madonna from a block of oak wood which was destined for the fire. He obeyed and produced a masterpiece from a log of common firewood. Many of us lose great opportunities in life by waiting to find sandalwood for our carvings, when they really lie hidden in the common logs that we burn. One man goes through life without seeing chances for doing anything great, 
while another close beside him snatches from the same circumstances and privileges opportunities for achieving grand results. Opportunities? They are everywhere. America is another name for opportunities. Our whole history appears like a last effort of divine providence in behalf of the human race. Never before were there such grand openings, such chances, such opportunities. Especially is this true for girls and young women. A new era is dawning for them. Hundreds of occupations and professions, which were closed to them only a few years ago, are now inviting them to enter. We cannot all of us, perhaps, make great discoveries like Newton, Faraday, Edison and Thompson, or paint immortal pictures like an Angelo or a Raphael. But we can, all of us, make our lives sublime by seizing common occasions and making them great. What chance had the young girl, Grace Darling, to distinguish herself, living on those barren lighthouse rocks alone with her aged parents? But while her brothers and sisters, who moved to the cities to win wealth and fame, are not known to the world, she became more famous than a princess. This poor girl did not need to go to London to see the nobility. They came to the lighthouse to see her. Right at home she had won fame which the regal heirs might envy, and a name which will never perish from the earth. She did not wander away into dreamy distance for fame and fortune but did her best where duty had placed her. If you want to get rich, study yourself and your own wants. You will find that millions have the same wants. The safest business is always connected with man's prime necessities. He must have clothing and dwelling. He must eat. He wants comforts, facilities of all kinds for pleasure, education, and culture. Any man who can supply a great want of humanity, improve any methods which men use, supply any demand of comfort, or contribute in any way to their well-being, can make a fortune. The golden opportunity is never offered twice. Seize then the hour when fortune smiles and duty points the way. Why thus longing, thus forever sighing, for the far off, unattained and dim, while the beautiful, all around thee lying, offers up its low, perpetual hymn? Harriet Winslow End of chapter 5 Opportunities Where You Are Recording by Luke Sartor, Brisbane, Queensland.